Hi guys, this is Jamie Lyon and you are listening to Talking with TK. Welcome guys to episode 107 of Talking with TK. I'm your host Tristan Cannell. Back to the NRL legends today, and I was really, really happy that I found one of the manly legends, Jamie Lyon. So, Jamie only retired a couple of years ago, but what a player he was. I think he was Dallium Center of the Year four or five times over his career. You know, from the humble beginnings in WeWall, which we will touch on, and some things like pig shooting and all that sort of stuff, to, you know, finding his way from a town of only a couple thousand people to the big smoke of Sydney and launching his career with Parramatta. And what a whirlwind start it was there. Retired by the age of 22, so he'll explain why he did that. But lots and lots of stories from England to Desi to Manly to, yeah, so stay tuned for some great stories and insights from the killer, Jamie Lyon. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Whether it's your first time here or if you haven't seen the whole catalogue, please, you can listen to all the episodes at www talkingwithtk.com or on your favorite podcast app. Just search Talking With TK. If you can, if you can leave me a review on those podcast apps, just really helps me continue to grow. So I'm very appreciative of that. Please keep telling your family and friends. Season two numbers are through the roof. So I'm a very appreciative of word of mouth marketing. So guys, thank you for telling everyone. And if you want to get in touch, please do old school email Tristan at talkingwithtk.com or please connect with me on my Twitter or Facebook. I'm at talkingwithtk. Guest requests, suggestions for the show, or even if you just want to say good day, please send them through because I always love hearing from people actually tuning into the show. We've got a big, big month coming up. We've already recorded with the likes of Eric Growth Sr. and Nick Phipps, as well as this next couple of weeks I'll be recording with Matt Adamson, Chad Townsend, Terry McFlynn, and also Michael Liner. So plenty to look out for. Like I said, get in touch. Keep telling your family and friends. It is very, very appreciated. All right, guys, let's get to today's episode, and I introduce the legend, Jamie Lyon. All right, guys, my special guest today is Jamie Lyon. Jamie is a legend of the NRL, having played 296 first-grade games in Australia across Parramatta and also Manly. He played in five grand finals, winning two in with Manly in 2008 and 2011. He also played in the UK for St. Helens, playing 63 games. He won a Man of Steel Challenge Cup and a Super League grand final. Welcome to the podcast, Jamie Lyon. Jamie, welcome, buddy. Thank you very much for having me, mate. Absolute pleasure, mate. Why don't we start a little bit? I love origin stories, Jamie, and you've got a very, very unique one, mate, coming from Wee War. Now, Wee War's only got a couple of thousand people, mate, so can you just tell us a little bit about, well, pretty much how your family got to Wee War and a little bit about Wee War as well? Um, yeah, mate, I, I grew up there since I was a, a baby, mate. I was born in Narrabri, just as, um, well, it's 20 minutes away, so it's not too far, and yeah, I grew up there and... I uh, had all my childhood there, I went to school there and uh, finished year 11 there and then got signed uh, by Crusher at Parramatta and yeah, did year 12 at Parramatta Maris. So um, yeah, lived there pretty much my whole life in Wee War and then moved to Parramatta. Yeah, with, with Wee War, were your family, your mum and dad, are they originally always from that area? Yeah, they are, mate. They're all from out that way and uh, they're currently up here on the north coast now. So they, when I went to Sydney, they uh, they moved up here uh, probably the next year after. So still got all my mates back there and keep in touch with everyone out in the bush. Yeah, nice. So first things first, I was actually speaking to Daniel Irvine yesterday, and he wanted me to ask you how you got the nickname Killer to start. <laughs> oh, it's funny, mate, how all these rumours start and stories and everything, but... Shane Flanagan, he was our SG ball coach at Parramatta, which was my first year there, and Daniel Irvine was inside. Uh, Paddy Richards, Denny Sullivan. Uh, we had quite a, a good good team. We, I don't even know if we lost a game now. We ended up going through and uh, beating Illawarra in the grand final, which was a good win. But, um, yeah, we just, we just did a training session over at the beach. I think it might have been Wanda and... 
Uh, would I think we'll train in with another team from out at Picton Way, which were adults, so was a senior team. And um, some bloke just yelled out to his mate, "Hey, killer!" And I didn't look around or anything. I just kept walking. And then um, <laughs> we, we get back to training, or maybe a couple of days later. It might have been the next Monday. And Flano's got up and told everyone that uh, when the bloke. Um, yelled out killer to his mate that I turned around and said, oh, have you seen me play, have you? And then uh, <laughs> just a stupid story like that and it stuck all this time. So, so you got a stitch you know, up from Flano. Exactly what it was and stupid enough, it just stuck. <laughs> Great story, mate. So in terms of like finding rugby league, was was your old man a player as well? No, Dad, oh, he reckons he had one or two games at school, but he hardly even went to school, so I very much doubt that he played too much. But uh, he was more of a farmer and a worker. Um, but Dad's family, going back a fair way, had a couple of rellos that played a bit for roosters, okay. the platters, platters, sorry. So, and that's um, the that's, eastern suburbs, roosters? Yeah, it's for yeah. eastern suburbs, and maybe even Balmain. We're probably talking back in the... Oh, maybe 60s or something like that. I've got to chase it up, actually, and get the full facts there. But um, a little bit on Dad's side, and then uh, Mum's side were, were pretty sporty and played a little bit of footy. But um, uh, actually, my uncle, Mick Smith, he played a little bit at Penrith and went yeah. down to Canberra, so he was, a, he was a pretty good player and a couple of other rallies down the track. But, yeah, just just kicked on, and I love footy from the start since I was five, and yeah, just kicked on. Yeah, nice. You know, you mentioned before that you had heaps of mates still in in Wewall. Did yep. you guys all kind of go to school together, play footy together? Because I'm assuming that is there just one school, one footy team. Is that how it yep. kind of went? Yeah, exactly. The Wewall Panthers. Yeah, it's only like you said, there might be a couple of thousand people there, but it's probably more like oh, seventeen or eighteen hundred. So it's only a little town, but. When I was growing up, it was a pretty strong area for footy, and there's a lot of um, players around there a bit older than me. Like Steve Trindle, he played quite a lot of games for North Sydney. And Is he a front row? He was, yep. yes, yes. So he's from Leewar, and a couple of others, Matthew Hogan and Lee Stanford, and uh, even going back a bit further than that, there's, there's just been there's some good history out there, and especially uh, bush footy, so they're pretty well, well known around the area, so... Mate, yeah, it was it was good growing up in Weaver and having those old guys around that you sort of looked up to and, um, you know, first grade, John Harvey, uh, the ex-Gold Coast coach from years ago and played he's at Manly. He scouted you and, too. He scouted you to Noel, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. So he's good mates with Crusher and played a little bit with him through the years. And, um, yeah, he, he gave the heads up to Crusher that I was out there and whatnot, but... He had a couple of stints captain coaching out there at Weewar and uh, he was awesome for the town, mate. So he he kept it going and he brought a few players from around Tweed Heads out to Weewar and, you know, they were pretty successful. I think they won one comp and uh, made a couple of grand finals against Werris Creek back in the day when it was it was a pretty pretty high standard, actually. Yeah, Jamie, when you're going through the grades at Weewar, is there is there rep teams for that area as well? Yeah, there's rep teams, mate. You go um, Group 4, then into Northern Division, then into Country. But I sort of left uh, after my uh, under-16s game, I left for Sydney then. So I played a little bit uh, of Group 4, a bit too young for the Northern Division stuff and the Country, but um, played Group 4 and then played a little bit of reps with North West out there and didn't really kick on uh, too high out there. So you got Farrah and a couple of big schools out there, that are pretty strong, so it's it's a little bit hard to, to kick on from out there, but it's yeah. certainly possible. So if you didn't go to those schools, would they kind of would that kind of kick you out, or those boys just bigger than you guys? Like, what was the kind of? Yeah, like we're only a little little school and little town, so a lot of times we'd we'd struggle to get a team and yeah, coming okay. up against a big side like Farah, who you know Alan Tung and Tom Leroy, they've had a few big names and they've got a bit of a rugby league program going there. Because that's Tamworth, um, right? so. That's Tamworth, yeah. So we used to play against them a fair bit in Gunnedah and Moree and, and Narrabri. So that that was the area I grew up in. But, but yeah, I, I really loved footy as a kid. And, um, you know, there wasn't too much sitting inside and playing Xbox or anything like that. It was always outside on your bike or playing footy or hanging around with your mates. Yeah, nice. Did you help around on the, the farm as well? Oh, not really, mate. I was in town, but um, Dad, uh, he worked out 
out um, just out of town on a few different farms, so he was always out and about. But a lot of my mates I went to school with uh, had properties, so I was sort of always out there um, out in the, on the farms and stuff. Yeah, before we continue with the footy talk, one of your pastimes I'm really interested in, mate, your pig shooting. What's, yeah. What age did you start pig shooting? Oh, probably started in primary school, just um, yeah, going out with a few mates and just onto their farms, and the, you know they would have had troubles with feral pigs that were um, you know wrecking their crops and stuff. So you, you got to try and get rid of them if you can, and you know out there it's pretty tough as you know, especially with the drought. You've, you've got yeah, to do everything sure. you can to to make money out there. So especially when they're they're a bit of a problem on your farm, you have to get rid of them. And you know I enjoyed it as a kid and. Still did a fair, fair time after that as well, and Crusher down the track. I did a fair bit with him, but uh, yeah, haven't haven't really done too much the last couple of years, mate. I'd, I'd rather play golf in my spare time, or, <laughs> you know, do something like that. But um, I don't know. I might get it back into it one day. Yeah, you got two young blokes. Have you taken them before? I've got two boys. Yeah, they, they talk about it a fair bit. I haven't taken them before. I'm a little girl, but um, I'll take them out and do a bit of fishing. I think instead and. Uh, try and catch some yellow belly and some cod for him. That sounds like a great afternoon, mate. Now, just back to you getting found by Crusher. You know, he obviously, he signed you sight unseen, so he pretty much took John Harvey's word for it. Tell me your first recollection of meeting the big Crusher Cleo. Yeah, I can't really remember too much. He said he came to a game, um, and then he got there a little bit late, and I played okay. It was like a group four, a rep game out there at Moree, and Scored a couple of tries and wasn't too bad, but I don't think I bumped him that day. I can't really remember, but uh, later down the track, it might have been a couple of months later, he came out to our house and stayed overnight and, um, yeah, pretty much stayed and had a couple of beers with mum and dad and um, dad cooked him brekkie and that was pretty much that was it. So they must have been so, pretty impressed with him to let him stay over and cook him some brekkie. Yeah, well, I don't know exactly if there was something on back then. Maybe he was catching up with John Harvey, who was out there at the time, and, um, yeah, just ended up staying over and, yeah, pretty much done the deal there. He gave me a tracksuit, and um, I was speaking to a couple of other clubs at the time. North Sydney, actually, I was chatting to, and okay. also Penrith. And um, I think back then I was they offered about 500 bucks and maybe school fees and stuff, and then... Crusher came out and I think it was two grand he offered me and wow. a tracksuit and yeah schooling and stuff so I pretty much jumped then and went and got an FPOS card so I had a little bit of money <laughs> back then which I how old were you fourteen or so no I was that was when I was sixteen okay yeah. even back yeah. sixteen were you taking your rugby league very seriously at the time yeah I, I loved footy back then and always wanted to um, to kick on on a I used to see around the traps, there was a couple of Tamworth kids that Crusher signed and um, they used to walk around with a tracksuit on, which was um, it was good motivation in the end because I was thinking, oh, I'm, I'm probably better than you blokes, but I haven't got a tracksuit, so <laughs> it gave me a bit of motivation down the track, mate, so um, yeah, it just, it just progressed through there and I always wanted to play for you know Australia and wanted to play in the NRL so it was always a goal that's for sure yeah Jamie who was your heroes back then mate um, I used to like Laurie Daly he was probably uh, one of my favourites um, did they ever come out to well, we War or meet you or any any areas like that uh, don't remember bumping into those guys no but yeah I, mate, I used to watch every footy game back then so I knew every single player and did you used to yeah, do the footy cards all didn't have the footy cards, no, no. No, but, um, no I didn't. Well, I, I might have seen them once or twice back in the day, the Chewy and that in there, in mm. the packet, but no, nah, I never really got into them. That were the days, mate. So moving to Sydney, like, you're relatively young. You know, you come, like we spoke before, you know, you come from a place of, like, 1,800 to 2,000 people. You move to the Sydney, Sydney's big smoke where, you know, there's four or five million people. What did you think as a young bloke moving from the country to the city? Yeah, it was tough. It was definitely tough. I wanted to come home a couple of times, but probably um, pretty lucky. You know, Brian Smith was at Para then, and uh, obviously Crusher was there, and Kevin Wise was another guy there that I really looked up to, and they really looked after their juniors back then. So, you know, you train with the first grade side, you'd go to school, and you'd train again in the Arvo, but 
they had a really big emphasis on juniors, which was, um, you know, I thought was great. And the house where I stayed at had probably 13 people living under the roof, and then Crusher probably had about 15. So wow. we sort of, hang, uh, you know, we hung out outside of training and school and that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of country people there, and um, that definitely helped at the start. But yeah, obviously very tough going from. You know, we will hide a Parramatta Morris. We had to wear a tie and a blazer and stuff, which I hadn't seen before. So, uh, you know, going through the traffic and getting to school, which was, you know, instead of a five-minute um, job, it usually takes about, you know, half hour or so. So, but, you know, you learn a bit of discipline and you learn to look after yourself. And, um, you know, there's obviously positives and negatives for leaving home early and, you know, at work for quite a few years and then had a rest and then yeah, kicked back up again. Yeah, how'd you cope with the training? Was it obviously I'm, I'm assuming it's a major difference, bit of a shock to yep. the culture? Yeah, it was tough. It was tough. I was never really a, a gym person, so you get in there and even at SG Ball, we had some guys in there that were really strong and sort of did weights, um, you know, probably for a couple of years leading into that, really, before they'll. 16 and 17 which I hadn't really seen before you know I just loved playing footy so there wasn't you know a barbell or a chin-up bar or anything like that were you naturally strong not really no no no, still not but um yeah some people love the gym but yeah it was it was a bit of a culture shock you know going into training uh you know we do our SG ball training which was under 17s and then uh for the pre-season off then we we trained with the first graders which was great but um you know, very tough. tough Did you do much contact to, against the first graders? We do a little bit, yeah, we do a little bit, but um, mainly skill work and conditioning stuff. But, yeah, so it was a great eye-opener, and, you know, it's players like Jim Dimmick and Jason yeah, nice. Smith. Did and, it kind of know, just Kalos set the bar for you so you could know exactly where you needed to be to be in that, that level? Yeah, it was. It sort of gave you an idea of what you need to do to get to the top, and, like I said, with, with Brian Smith and Crusher and, and those sorts of guys, they they really, you know, we had some old heads there, but, you know, they weren't frightened to throw in um, young blokes. So like when I debuted, I was 18, and Daniel Irvine and Pat Richards and uh, David Violecki, you know, he, he threw us all in first grade at the same time, and we went really well in, you know, 2000 and 2001. We had a couple of really good years, and, um, you know, the average age was... I think it was 21, like I said, and it was just, yeah, it was good times. Yeah. You know, at Parramatta Maris, your year 12 team, you had Paul Gallen, you know, we've mentioned Daniel Irvine, Brett Sargent as well, yourself. So that's four guys that have that kicked on to first grade. What was it like, your, your year 12 team? Because I'm, I'm assuming you guys, did you guys make it to the semifinals, did you? We did, yeah. It's a little bit of a shame because we probably had the team to win the whole lot and uh, we went up to... I think it was Suncorp Stadium. We played before, might have been Brisbane and Parra or someone like that. And uh, we had those players you mentioned, and Scott Hogan, who was a halfback, which, yep. who was a really good player. And yeah, I think it was ten all at full time. And uh, because we had to, you know, because we were curtain raiser, we couldn't go in extra time. So because they scored first, they ended up winning, which was that's a stitch um, up. <laughs> yeah, or it might have been that, or maybe we did go to extra time and and didn't get a result, but. Um, yeah, ran out of time and uh, Terra Sancta, I think they were. No, who was that? That was Palm Beach, Corumban. Yeah, it was 10 all of them, and then they went on and Terra Sancta beat them in the final. But yeah, we we thought we definitely had the team there to, to win it, that's for sure. Yeah, you guys versus Terra would have been good at a local derby. Yeah, it was a good local derby, and yeah, a couple of the sides up there were, were pretty strong, and out at Campbelltown in the. Yes, yeah, in the Greg Catholic competition. Yes, in the in the Catholics competition, it was yeah, it was a good strong competition and the MCS. Uh, that's really good grounding, eh? Because like it, there's a lot of kind of SG Ball and Harold Matthews players that all go to these schools, like yep. away from your other games. It, it is a strong competition that a lot of players don't get exposed to. Yeah, that's right. And I, I think those schools back then. I think the schools have now have, have sort of changed a little bit, where some other ones are taking over and being the the strong rugby league clubs, but yeah, back then it was um, yeah, it was quite good to play in. It was it was a strong competition, and yeah, there's a lot of good players in there, that's for sure. Yeah, I remember because I went to John Paul too, which is pretty much across the road from Terra Sancta. But back in the day, we used to be the footy school, and yeah, Tony, Tony we just had the pool of tools. Yeah, yep. mate, there was a rumor that 
Pulitzer got given a car to go to the school. So, <laughs> mate, you should have seen this team. It was stacked up. We had a lot of first graders that came through that team. So, Yeah, I remember. I used to watch it you know, back home as a kid. I used to watch it all and see all the big schools, yeah. That's awesome, mate. Well, that year you, you actually make the Australian schoolboys the tour of, what, England, Ireland and, and France. Was that the first time that you'd actually been out of the country? Yep, yeah, sure was. It was a bit of an eye-opener. and um, Yeah, we had to get some big jackets to, to get around there, actually, so it was freezing cold, but uh, yeah, that was good fun. Long time ago now, I can't really remember too much who, about it, who actually. Who was on tour with you on that one? Uh, we had Justin Hodges, Mark Gesnier, Braithen Nasta. Wow. Um, so who started? Yeah, Paul, Ga- Paul Gallon didn't make it, actually. So. Did Hodge start at fullback? So you guys could play centre? Uh, yeah, I think, he, yes, he was fullback. He had the bald head and the moustache back then. <laughs> Co- Corey Barker was the same. He was, was, he? He was floating around there. Yeah, he's in the side. There's a couple of couple of big names, actually. And um, I even bumped into one of my old roommates on tour, actually, Nathan Jordan. He was in the side. He went to Palm Beach, Corumban as well. And okay. I have a room with him. And he was a little halfback, a little cheeky halfback. Did he so have a couple down to for a little bit of Jersey flag or something? He did. He played for St George, I think. Okay, gotcha. And, um, yeah, hadn't seen him for years. And, yeah, bumped in the other day, which was which was pretty funny. Was that out uh, Gold Coast way? Or where was it in country? Yeah, up at Moorlambar. He's up there. Yeah, he coaches... Nice yeah, the local team there. Yeah, so how did you boys go on that tour? Were the, were the English boys big? Yeah, they were big. Yeah, there's a couple of big boys in there. Um, got a little bit fiery in one or two games. I think there's a couple of punch-ups, which usually is against them guys. But, um, yeah, overall, mate, they are pretty strong in the Test match. I don't know if they end up beating us in any. Um, played in France and played against a couple of other counties over there. But, um, yeah, I think we ended up winning the, the every game and, yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, nice one. Because your kind of progress through parallel was pretty quick. I know you said you started in SG Ball, but that same year, didn't you play in the grand final for Reggie's? Yeah, yeah. There was a, uh, that was the first grand final at ANZ, actually, which was straight Stadium Australia back then. And um, Could you believe I remember it, from it, Wee War Oval to the biggest stadium in oh, Australia? Yeah, Ca- Captain Cook Oval in Wee War to um, Stadium Australia back then. <laughs> it was massive, yeah. That was that was goosebump stuff. But he ended up playing SG Ball. We won that, and then um, that finished a bit earlier. So we went to Jersey Flegg, uh, which was 20s, played a couple of games there, and ended up getting beaten a semi against the Bulldogs. I think they ended up winning it, and then... After that, Crusher rang me in the week leading up to the grand final. He said, um, I think back then there was a rule where if you played too many first grade games or something like that, you couldn't go back to Reggie's. So they might have been a couple of players short. And uh, myself and Danny Sullivan, yeah, came from SG Ball and ended up playing on that day and we ended up beating Balmain in the grand final, which was, um, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, did any old heads rough you up at all? Uh, not really, mate. I was... Probably trying too to stay fast. away from them, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> too fast, too scared of them, actually, because they had a couple of big boys. Um, I think Villasini might have even played. Troy Wozniak. Yeah, they had a, they had a few big, big uh, dangerous guys. But um, I think I come on the second half from memory, and I think I might have been on the wing, so stayed out of there a bit. Yeah. So after the season finishes, does Brian Smith put you in the first grade squad? Is that what happens next? Uh, yeah, I think I was in there from that, so 99, then in 2000, yeah, would have been part of the, yeah, the squad, and, um, yeah, school finished, so I, I did a traineeship at Stadium Australia, actually, so I was mowing the lawns there for a little while, a couple How'd of months, go? and then, <laughs> yeah, it was tough, I, yeah, I probably wasn't the best worker, and probably did didn't you know do, what I was doing there. Did you have to do the lines? Didn't end up doing, oh, maybe, I can't really remember, maybe I didn't, but I just remember... Um, one day, it was a massive day, so some might have been the union was on, and then uh, they had to change all the posts in the field, but they had to do it overnight. So, And in the meantime, they had to take a fair bit of turf out and relay it, so we ended up working until about 2 o'clock in the morning, which was, uh, I do remember that, which was tough. But, yeah, Graham Logan was the big boss out there, and a couple of other guys I worked with, it was... Yeah, it's a bit of an eye-opener. Yeah, it's always interesting, especially all that sponsorship they put on there. Like, I've always kind of, you know, wanted to do it once. It's, uh, it's, it is very, very skillful what they do. 
It is, yeah. They, I think they get someone independently to come in and do all the logos and yeah, painting on the grass. But it's, it's pretty technical. But um, yeah, all the other guys, we used to just pretty much look after the grass and obviously the posts and that sort of thing. Yeah. Now, Jamie, I had a look at the other day on your run-on debut, which was against the West Tigers. Now, the West Tigers at the time, obviously it's their first season in 2000, but they had some killer centres in Kevin McGuinness and Terry Hill. Who did you... Do you remember who you, you marked that day? I think I was on McGuinness, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so... I, actually, funnily enough, I only come on... Or I might have even had it recorded on my IQ here at home and come across and all. Didn't know what, your debut all. game? Yeah, so I don't know how it was on there. Maybe one of the kids recorded it, but yeah, I had a look and it was, yeah, such a long time ago and yeah, it was pretty funny to watch and see how it all went after that. But yeah, there's a couple of good players from there, like, you know, Craig Field and, um, you know, even our side, we had Jimmy Dimmick and, and all those other players, Michael Vella and Highmarsh and Kalis and uh, PJ Marsh and Luke Burt. So we, yeah, there's some good players amongst it all. Yeah, did you pinch yourself, mate? Because, you know, a couple of years before that, you were only still at home and you, you're you in yep. the big stage with people that you're watching on TV, you know. It, it would have been yeah. amazing. It would have been absolutely Yeah, amazing. I was nervous. It, it came pretty quick, though, like training one minute, next minute. Well, Brian Smith was a bit of a master like that, and he, he always kept everyone guessing. So sometimes you go to a game and there'd be 25 people that would bring their gear <laughs> and they didn't know who was playing. So did you like that? Just before, oh... I don't know, I was just probably too young and too naive and didn't really realise it at the time. I was just probably had the headlights on. Yeah, gotcha. Didn't know what was going on, but um, yeah, I, I was just during the week and I was probably training with reserve grade, or I think it was, and then uh, I get a phone call on the, might have been the Wednesday or Thursday that I was I was in, so I had to come, come to train them, but back in reserve grade and SG ball and stuff, you only train once a day, whereas first grade you'd train in the morning, you'd have lunch, and then you'd come back in the Arvo and train again. And I remember the first session there, we trained in the morning, and then I went home and I was buggered, and then I was asleep on the lounge, and the trainer actually rang me and said, where are you? You should be here, we're on the field. And I've gone, oh, <laughs> hell. So I had to get straight in my training gear and jump in my Mitsubishi Sigma and drove to training and Got in the field about 20 minutes later and they are all standing there clapping at me, which, oh, my heart was pounding and I couldn't believe. I thought I was going to get dropped right there on the spot. Did you cop a fine? I didn't. He let me off, but I, I just didn't realise that, you know, I was probably just walking around me, me eyes closed back then. Yeah, you just mentioned your Mitsubishi Sigma. Was it was it cool the fact that you were in there, you had your Sigma, you were still staying down to earth, and I'm sure that some of these other boys would have been driving hot up V8s and Mercedes and all sorts of things. Yeah, there's a few of those big cars. I remember even Hindmarsh, he was only pretty young, and he had, oh, he might have had a really big ute, one of the American SUVs or one of those, and there might have been a couple of Beamers, and, you know, I think, I think Dean Payne and McCracken might have still been there at the time. So, yeah, there's definitely... Yeah, there's some, you know, they were definitely way up there and I was way down to the bottom, that's for sure. <laughs> now, the following season, mate, you guys have a cracking season. You're minor premiers by a country mile and you actually make the grand final against Newcastle. Leading into that grand final against the Knights, what was that kind of approach that, that you guys took and how did you handle it all for you, you know, at the time where you're 20 years old? Yeah, it was um, still a little bit disappointing, that one. I know the Para boys are still filthy over that, you know, we had such a strong season and, you know, we were the best team by far and I think we broke all records for most points scored and uh, played some really good footy, you know. We had Jason Taylor and Brad Drew, um, Michael Butner. We had some players that had just come in that year and everything just clicked, you know. Um, Yeah, it didn't feel like that we were going to lose, but we could just get there and bang, they just jumped straight for the start. We couldn't get back into it. So, yeah, definitely. But at the time, you know, I was obviously disappointing and I was heartbroken, but being that young, you think, oh, you're going to get another chance, another chance. But it definitely took a little while after that to, to get back on the, the winning stage. Yeah, on the weekend, did you guys change routine at all? You just didn't handle the press that good? Like, looking back, like, obviously you've been to so many grand finals now. What was different towards the way you guys handled it at Manly? Oh, not really sure. It's hard to go back that far and work out, you know, preparation-wise and all that. I I don't really think you can look too much into it, mate. You go out, when you get in the field, it's bang, it's all systems go. And, Mm. you know, we just 
shell shot from the start and couldn't get back into it. We scored a couple of late tries to get back into it. Maybe another 10, 10 minutes we might have won it. We only lost by six, I think, in the end. But you got two big players too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a little bit of a consolation, but... Yeah, you know, it's 24-0, I think it was at one stage. We were down and just couldn't get back into the game. And, yeah, it's, it's very, very disappointing. Mm. How did you find out about, because, you know, after the round final, you make your test debut in P&G. How did you find out about, you know, obviously making it to, you know, the ultimate goal, playing for Australia? Yeah, yeah. So was, we're all together as the boys, having a couple of beers, as you do, after the season. And, yeah, you got the phone call from the media manager back then. Um yeah, and then pretty much had to get ready for camp. So it was a very, very big shock. And he yeah, couldn't believe it. Had a couple of other boys, Hindy and Mick Feller, and I think even Daniel Wagon was inside. So yeah, you get straight into it and go on the tour with yeah, Brad Fittler and the boys. And yeah, it was great. Yeah, nice. Was that because you wouldn't have played any rep footy? So that was been the first time you've been playing with the guys like Freddie, yeah? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, always looked up to those blokes. and. Yeah, to be on the same team, like Joey and Trent Barrett and players like that, Minicello. Wow. Think well, they just had a different Darren... like level in terms of speed and just seeing things on the field. Yeah, that's right. They were class above, and you know, they could do it all out there without talking if they, they needed to, whereas you know, I'm going in there and Joey's throwing a 30-metre cutout ball that's a bullet and really <laughs> goes straight through and hits you in the face. But uh, the skills and everything, it was just it was terrific. Who was your Who was your roommate on the the two thousand and one Kangaroo tour? Um, I think we might have had a couple. Oh, actually, no, I had Braithen Nasta. Actually, he he was on there too. I'm pretty sure from memory. Yeah, good yeah, roommate. So I roomed a lot, lot. He's good. Yeah, really good. And then, uh, funnily enough, actually, on the way over to England on the plane, we had. Um, I think it might have been alphabetical order, so I was sitting next to Mad Dog McDougal. Oh, nice. And I said, oh, this is going to be good. And then uh, we sat down and just kept chatting. I reckon we spoke for about four hours straight, and he told 150-odd stories, and it was just continuous. It was so good. I was laughing my head off at just him. Just a mini mandate. Yeah, it was so good. But I still remember that. and um, Yeah, it was good fun to be around. Yeah, did you get much of a run on that, that tour? Yeah, yeah, he had a few games. Yeah, played in the in the tests and stuff. And was um, Wembley open at the time? No, Wembley wasn't open. No, it was no. fixed, we, wasn't it? Yeah, actually, I don't know. Might have might have been open there, but yeah, it was a very weird time because it was straight after um, September eleven. Oh, that's big, right. Um, yeah, yeah, the big plane crashes in New York there. So. I remember they gave us the option just as we came together, and everyone was a little bit, a little bit shattered about it. And they almost called the tour off. I think, I think maybe even Gordon Tallis and Webkey from memory ended up pulling out of the tour. They didn't want to go, and okay. um, yeah, which was their choice and stuff. But um, yeah, I was definitely going, and it was just a little bit of a different time back then. And Chris Anderson was the coach. It was. It was awesome, and yeah, it was just a good time. Yeah, nice one. Now, next year, you make your Origin debut up in, in Suncorp. What was it like actually playing up at, you know, at the time, Brisbane obviously were playing there, but, you know, this is a place that, you know, we're about the same age, and we watched so much footy growing up, and Suncorp Stadium in Lang Park just looks like the ultimate place to play a game of Origin on. Like, what was that first experience for you? Yeah, actually, you got you got your facts wrong there, mate. Did I get facts wrong? Was it A and Z? debut. We played at A and Z. Yeah, it was. So we had, I think there was five of us Blues playing then. So there was myself, Jason Moody, um, Mick Vella, Hindy, and I think Brett Hodgson. I'm pretty sure there was five of us. So yeah, we ended up playing in Sydney the first game and had a really good win and scored a try. So that was that was really a great day. And I remember. Yeah, Joey threw a couple of good passes to me that day, and yeah, it was a good win. But yeah, <laughs> so go, you played in that outfit game, forward, but, did you? I don't think I played in. I think that might have been the so year 01. before. Yeah, yeah, okay. I think I think that was. So um, yeah, I remember that. One. I think he stepped under Mick Filler in one in one little try. He set up or scored himself. So, so did you get to play but on no, the court before you left for England? Yes, I did. So okay, that was cool. that was game one, two thousand and two, and then uh, yeah, game two we go up there and um, yeah, it's, it was awesome. Even though we got towered up a little bit, the atmosphere and um, 
you know, the whole occasion, it was, yeah, it was awesome. I, was, I won't forget that one, that's for sure. Were you surprised by the intensity and just the physicality? Yeah, they they all say, you know, it goes really quick and it's over before you know it, but, um, you know, within that first 40 minutes, it's it's very, very tiring, and especially if the other team's on top of you. It, yeah, you're definitely, your bum's hanging out. It was so hard and tiring, but it, well, it did go pretty quick, but, yeah, there's a lot of hard work in between that, and it was definitely physical and uh, enduring, that's for sure. Yeah, I can only imagine. Now, Jamie, at 22, you announced that you're retiring and going back home, and you start playing for the Wee War Panthers. Now, yep. in that team for the Wee War Panthers, was it just all the boys that you grew up with, and did you know that all the boys that were, were in that team at the time? Yeah, I knew all of the boys there, but... Um I played with one or two around my age, but a lot of them actually um, were older blokes who were the legends of the town and have been playing a long time. So that that was, you know, that that was such a great year. And for a for a country team, we had such a strong side. So um, I don't think the team's been as strong since. And, you know, they come up against 10 West sides now that are pretty strong. So they do struggle a bit. But, yeah, going back... Back then and playing with those guys, it was so good. And even for the town, there's a big buzz around town. And yeah, that was Did people come in from everywhere knowing that you know an NRL player was going to come play. I th- I think they might have got a couple of bigger crowds, which was good. And yeah, um, you know we that was 2004, and I think a Tamworth side has won the grand final every year since. Which is, I know a Gunnedah side pushed them last or this season just gone. But yeah, they're always the strong guys. But yeah, it's good for us to win that grand final, and Maury actually beat a, a Tamworth side that year to make the grand final. So, Ewan McGrady, yeah, one nice of the one. great players of he uh, played the first Bulldogs. goal I ever watched at Belmore Oval. Did he? Yeah, nineteen eighty nine Cronulla. My dad right. took me because I was a Sharks supporter. Took me to Belmore yeah. to watch the Sharks and the Doggies. The Doggy will up eighteen nil, and then all of a sudden Ewan McGrady turned it on. I think it was 24 unanswered points. It was like, it was such a similar player to someone like Anthony Mundine. He could just turn it on. He and was. He's what electric. He did, it was unstoppable. Yeah, he's a lot older than in 2004 as well, but he still had that little spark about him and could turn a game. And I, I could even, I could be wrong here, but I'm, I still think he's playing out in the bush somewhere. So. There you go. He must be in his 50s. Yeah, have to be, yeah. So he's still getting around and, yeah, he's a yeah, good football player. Yeah, so Jamie. The original decision to go back home to Wee was that a homesickness thing? Oh, a bit of both, mate. I just got got fed up with the footy and the whole professional side of it. You know, I did it for a couple of years and, um, yeah, I just we had a really tough pre-season. I just had enough and said, oh, that, that's me. I've had a crack and going to finish up. And, you know, I had no intentions to come back to the NRL or obviously Super League before I came back. But, yeah, that was it. I... You know, I was young, but I started out pretty young and, yeah, just got a little bit burnt out and um, said I had enough. But, you know, you live and you learn and you get older and you have regrets and that was obviously one. And um, Yeah, it was... At the same time, you say regret, but not a lot of players get to go back home and play with the guys that they grew up with and some of the local legends. You know, you only had one season. A lot of people can't say that. Yeah, that's right, that's right. You know, I had a lot of positives to it as well and, you know, Wee War is, as it just about always is, there's always a drought out there and, you know, there's a lot of hard workers and farmers and they struggle to get off, you know, get time off work. So it's, it was definitely good for the town to go out there and, you know, have a year with them and, you know, put a smile on a lot of the spectators and, you know, a lot of the community around there that, um, yeah, they enjoyed it. But, yeah, like I said, it was obviously a big regret to finish up para then and still still get a lot of slack from Parramatta fans. <laughs> yeah, they're everywhere, mate. They are everywhere. But, you know, well-deserved. And as you get older and, you know, something happened like that to a team that I was captaining in, you know, captain, you would be dirty. But, you know, Nathan Kalos and Highmarsh and Vela, they, they've been, you know, good about it, even though they, they're probably more entitled to be, you know, a lot angry about it, I suppose. You know, yeah. back then I, I probably didn't realise how big of a, Colgo wasn't that side either. I just thought, oh, you can you can fill the, the centre position, get someone else in there to do the job. But you know, at the time, I didn't think you know I was so important to the team, which which I probably was. Yeah, I think you definitely were. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying the episode with Killer. I'll get back to that in just a moment. Last week on the show, we we're very very lucky to be joined by five times 
Player of the Year in hockey, Jamie Dwyer. He's probably one of the greatest of all time in any one of the greatest Australians of all time. You know, in Australia, it's one of those things that hockey isn't as well known as countries like the Netherlands and India, where it is kind of one of your top tier sports, but an absolute legend. And I think if you haven't heard his story before, he actually scored the gold medal goal to take Australia to its only gold medal win in hockey. And that says a lot. That was in 2004 in Athens. And here is Jamie describing that moment. Once the message was delivered, because we had that opportunity, I had that opportunity twice during normal time, yep. and I got the shot away. It was just a good uh, save by the goalkeeper. And we're like, should we change it? Should we just uh, like trap it and flick it in, which is the simplest um, of corners to execute? Yep. And probably percentage-wise, maybe easier to execute as well. But... um. The captain at that time, Brent Livermore, said, no, let's let's stick to what the coach said because mm. we, we never, ever change what the coaches, yeah. coach says ever. Did it have so, a name for the play? Yeah, it was something like 4A or okay. 3B or something something like that. And we'd practice it hundreds and hundreds of times throughout the year. And we did the one, exact same one in the semifinal, but it went the other way. Mm-hmm. So it's an option corner. So depending on how the defense runs out, the guy um, has an option. So one of the guys says no, it goes that way. If it's if he says yes, it goes the other way. Yep. So it came to me because of the way the people ran out. I didn't have as much time as what I thought, so I, normally I'd flick it. But it was on me a little bit closely, so I thought I'm going to just hit it. Mm. And it missed his foot by the guy who was running out to me by about one or two centimetres. Wow. And then it went up like in between the keeper's pads and up into the goal. And then I was like, did that actually just go in? Like it felt like time stopped for a second. So so slow. Yeah, I felt like it paused. Like, you know, when you like watch the Matrix movie and like it just, everything's stopped. Like it felt exactly like that. I was like, that went in and it just felt like I just captured a moment of pausing. Yep, that actually went in. And then I just ran off and uh, went, yeah, we celebrated and had a, Good night. So please go back and check out Jamie's stories. As I did mention at the top of the, sto- up of the show, there's plenty coming up. The likes of Eric Roth, Nick Phipps, Matt Adamson, Chad Townsend, Michael Liner, Terry McFlynn, all on the way to tell their stories. If you want to get in touch, please do by old school email, Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com, or please connect on my Twitter or Facebook page. It's at TalkingWithTK. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. So who would... You know, 2004, you signed with St. Helens, and that's that's on the other side of the world. Who convinced you to go to England? Yeah, well, I had my uncle. He was um, uh, not really managing or anything like that, but he just had a phone call uh, from Ian Millwood, who was uh, the coach yeah, the coach over there at Saints, and it was probably just good timing because it was towards the end of the year, and I was doing a little bit of work at the bowling club, and um, yeah, we just pretty much ran out of money, so I said, well, we haven't really got much of a choice. Yeah, so we went out for a couple of years, and um, yeah, so they pay, did they pay really your well. market value, or did they know that they'll they'll pay less because they still had to pay a transfer fee and things like that as well, didn't they? Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure exactly what the you know what prices everyone else was or what contracts everyone else was on, but yeah. Yeah, it was pretty decent, I dare say. Hmm. How'd you first kind of, you know, it's a long way from home. Did anyone go over with you? Well, I did. I had a mate come over, which is Crush's son. Okay. So Ellie, my wife, was having her first around that time, so she was going to come over a little bit later. I had um, my boy here, my eldest boy, Riley. So So he's born in England? Gareth. No, he was born in Sydney, so they came over. So they came over after the birth. That's right, yeah, so... Gareth come over, but as you know, he, um, you know, Crusher played a little bit over in uh, England. I think he played for Hull, so he had a trip there. And then Gareth had another trip over there after school. So he's had a few stints over there. And as we get to the airport, we get on, we get over, and then um, we come to customs and our visas weren't right. So <laughs> St Helens were meant to put a proper visa through and they actually weren't, so... We get in there, so they hold us in the detention centre there in the airport for about four or five hours and go through everything. And the next minute they take him away into the other detention centre, which was off-site from the airport. And then uh, 
he flew straight back about three hours later. So he just done twenty four hours. We get there for six hours, and he's flying straight back. Straight to Sydney, back. Mate. Oh god! Knocked him back. Luckily, that I think someone from the club rang up and um, just happened to get me through, but they couldn't do anything with Gareth because his um, his visas weren't right, and they were a bit worried that he was doing a dodgy or doing something. <laughs> <laughs> Poor fella. But St. Helens, yeah. mate, they're all good team. You know, guys like, I spoke to Paul Scholthorpe the other day. He's going to do a podcast. Yep. And guys like Kieran Cunningham, Paul Wellens, they were stacked with some good players. They were. They were, yeah. So that was one of the things that was, um, that sort of got it over the line to go over to I didn't know them that well, but I knew their names. So I knew Kieran Cunningham and Scholthorpe and Sean Long. Yeah, Had a little bit about, about Wellens, yeah, but, um, yeah, they were a strong side, very uh, well coached. But funnily enough, uh, Ian Millwood got sacked after about half a year and Daniel Anderson came in. So, you know, I still, still uh, talk to those boys when I see them and Ian Millwood every now and then. So it's funny how, you know, he gets you over there and then they sack him <laughs> after a little while. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, your attacking game just goes leaps and bounds. I was watching a highlights tape of your, your couple of seasons at St. Helens and some of the tries you scored were scintillating, mate. Is that... Do you think that was the biggest part of your improvement when you went over? Um, yeah, I don't know, but just like the players you mentioned before, running off like Sean Long and Skullthorpe, even though he had a bit of a bad knee towards the end, and had a good mate, Jason Hooper, played a little bit at Dragons yep. and Illawarra, so he was over there, and Wellons was such a smart fullback. It was just a great team, and probably a little bit above the rest of them over there, so it wasn't wasn't too hard to... You know, next minute you got 40 or 50 points on the board, so it was such a strong side and, yeah, good fun footy. Yeah, your Challenge Cup game, that was at Twickenham too, wasn't it? Because the, the stadium was closed, right? Yeah, that's a little bit of a shame. It would have been great to play at Wembley there, but, yeah, they are a little bit behind schedule and we had to play at Twickenham, which in itself was getting a little bit of a renovation. So a little bit of a shame the atmosphere wasn't as great, but, you know, down the track we get to... Old Trafford and play the Super League Grand Final there, which was, uh, you know, even better. Yeah. Now, the Man of Steel, what do they give you for winning? Uh, you get a trophy, I think. Yeah. No money, nothing? Do you get a little I bit don't of know if, I don't know. No, maybe no. they did back then. Yeah, possibly. I can't really remember, to tell you the truth. Okay. And do you still have the trophy? I've got the trophy here, yes. Yeah, it's in the garage. Yeah, nice one. Do you have a little room set up with all your little... Achievements? Uh, I've got a garage. I've got a little bit in there. I'll, I'll have to get it out. The boys, my two boys, and even my little daughter, they're always getting little bits and pieces out. Or someone has a shower and just about to go to bed and got a jersey on. I go, oh, geez, I haven't seen that one for a while. How old are you boys? 13, 11, and my little girl, 7. Okay, so the boys would have seen a fair bit of your footy career then. Yeah, yeah, they used to come, especially at Manly. They will always come to training and... Yeah, they they seen uh, yeah all the players up close and yeah got on well with them. Yeah, nice one. So, talk to me about coming back to Australia now because originally you were about to go back to Para, right? How did the whole thing? How did that kind of not eventuate? And then how did the deal with Manly come about? Uh, I wouldn't say I was locked in to go to Para. I was I was talking to a few of them and you know I was almost close to staying there as well for another year or so. I really enjoyed it and. The, Club and the owners, Eamon McManus was such a great bloke, so um, there was a lot of good times there and I obviously thought about that long and hard about staying, but um, yeah, got a manager, George Mimus, and yeah, got a few few offers from over here and Parramatta was one, uh, I spoke to the Cowboys, Newcastle, um, Manly, and yeah, had a, had a few options, but I think Crusher being at Manly got it over the line in the end. Yeah, nice, and... Meeting Des Hasler, did, had you met him previously before joining Men? Yeah, I did. He's in one of the Origin uh, camps. I think he might have been an assistant coach, so I had a little bit to do with him over the years, yeah. Do you remember that time when he ripped the door off and he nearly hit you? <laughs> Still funnily enough, yeah. yeah. A lot of people do remember that and uh, they bring it up and it was a pretty fun time. And, um, you know, Brent Kite and Matty Ballon I speak to pretty regularly. They bring that up all the time and... Michael Robertson as well. It's still, it still goes into folklore, actually. It was I do remember the game. It was about 40 degrees at Parramatta. We were leading pretty easily. And Jared Hayne put on a little bit of a master stroke towards the back end of the game and threw a big forward pass that they let go and they ended up beating us. So, oh, yeah. funnily enough, we get into the sheds after the game and Desi wasn't overly happy. So, 
He's fired up, and next minute he slammed the door off the hinge, and I thought it was going to hit me, so I tried to cover up, and all the boys <laughs> didn't know what to do because everyone, you know, he had us all pretty scared, actually. So a couple of boys were looking out of the corner, and then after about five minutes when we knew he wasn't coming back in, we all started laughing about it. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what's worse, uh, Desi Hasler getting angry or a pre-season under Donny Singe? Oh, a bit of both, yeah. They run hand in hand. Um, used to be really tough. There was some stuff there that um, exerted you. Like, I know it's a little bike thing they've called the wing gate where you just power for 20 seconds, have a rest, and do it again for another 20 seconds, which doesn't sound like much, but Glenn Stewart used to... We used to have to do that as soon as we came back after the off-season, so Glenn Stewart used to have a couple of spews after that one, and people were pretty rattled, but... Yeah, he, he had a lot of drills there that, um, you know, pushed you to the limits. And, you know, we had some fit blokes there and probably some unfit blokes there as well. But, uh, yeah, they really ran a professional schedule and they had everything covered and was always looking outside the, the box for, you know, advantages we could get, which was good. And, um, yeah, they're, they're a good combination, those guys. Yeah, Jamie, when you look back now, because... You know, obviously now in papers you see, you know, people complaining about facilities and not having, you know, what do they call it, centre of excellence and all that sort of stuff. Like, you guys were a dynasty for 10 years, probably the most successful team in the NRL without any of that stuff. Like, how much of an impact does that sort of stuff even have? Um, oh, it's a little bit funny. Like, we didn't have the best facilities, but Des was always... Um, looking for still even the gym we had like altitude stuff and all that which was probably uh one of the earliest coaches he would have been using that sort of uh techniques and all different stuff he used to have so he it wasn't like he you know he didn't have the facilities but yeah they probably weren't as good as most of the other ones um but you know we had a great squad we had you know go through the names that uh was playing there you know we had Kieran, who was just coming through, and you know, Matty Ballon and Glenn Stewart and Brett Stewart, um, you know, Brent Kite, even Michael Robertson, who'd, who'd done very well, you know, very well for the club. We, we had a good squad, and we were all sort of coming through at the same same time and all sort of just about peaking. So, you guys we did have a good, field? yeah, we were, we we're all good mates and spent a lot of time together. So, um, yeah, around that time, it was. Yeah, really good squad, and you know you can't keep keep hold of everyone forever. And eventually they split up, and might take a little while for the the guys to come back to be a powerhouse again. But I've got no doubt they will, you know, in the next year or two. Jamie, one of the most interesting rivalries in the NRL was Manly versus Melbourne, for obvious reasons. The grand finals, the whole Adam Blair, Glenn Stewart thing. Now, you know, as a player, I'm sure because you were in the rep teams as well, you guys had a lot of respect for each other, but. Can you describe the rivalry between the two teams? Um, they were always, you know, really good fun to play in and everyone would be up for it because you could know, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday during the week, coming up to the weekend, we knew it was on and Desi would go up another cog, so he'd get a little bit fired up <laughs> and his, ha- his hair would go everywhere and he'd be throwing his hands in his hair and giving us a few sprays and, you know, even Donny Singe and guys like that, they'd all be... Um, getting ready for it. So you always knew when you're playing Melbourne that it was going to be tough. And so it was like a local derby, just without it being. It was. Yeah. It was. Well, even even Donny Singe, who was, you know, air conditioned. Or even actually, we did a little bit of wrestling back then. So we had a, a wrestling coach, and Melbourne had their wrestling coach, and I think they were even rivals. So they used to no, come wow. up against each other <laughs> through the track. So yeah. nearly everyone from the whole whole clubs are coming against each other, but. You know, Craig Bellamy's probably the best coach of all time and, you know, Desi's right up there with him. So, you know, they even had a healthy relationship and catch up after games. I think they'd have a beer together. So, you know, well, you know it's good for the game to have stuff like that. And, you know, I suppose all the spectators, even if they weren't a Mel- Manly or Melbourne fan, they'd be probably glued to the seats waiting for something to happen as well. Yeah, that that night, that Friday night at Brookie when, when Glare and... Glenn Stewart have that punch up. Was that the craziest thing that you've seen on the field? Yeah, pretty much. Um, even through the years, like even out in the bush, you'd see a couple of brawls and sometimes they'd go a bit bigger and a bit all in brawls. But yeah, that was, um, 
Yeah, because I feel I think it started with Ryan Hinchcliffe and Darcy Lassick. I yeah, think it was yeah. a little elbow or something that just escalated and tensions were flared and yeah, it just kicked on. It was yeah, it was unbelievable. I know a lot of people will bag it, but you know, there's not too many people that don't remember it. So um, yeah, I don't know. It was it was good to be a part of. And it was funny watching uh, the replay because I watched the replay a couple of days ago, and obviously you're captain, and when the referee calls everyone out it's just like you and Cameron Smith were just stunned I don't think you guys knew what to say no that's right well you don't see it every day when stuff like that happens so it was yeah bizarre I guess so it was um yeah very weird and eerie sort of to think about it even the kids watching at home and even you know at, at Brookie that day it was yeah people's mouths were just wide open just saying what's what's going on here but <laughs> Yeah, it was a very memorable night. Yeah, now I just want to finish off on a little bit of leadership stuff. You know, obviously you took over co-captain with Jason King in in 010. That was from Matty Orford. At the time, you didn't really want to be captain, did you? What was kind of that thing that kind of put you over the line and wanting you to take that, you know, the big C on? Um. I don't think I could have done it on my own straight up and it was a, probably a bit of a combination because Jason King was such a good leader and a great mate and uh, such a great player for the club too. So I know, you know, we used to get on so well and had a lot of good times together. So I, I don't think I could have done it on my own. And uh, I don't know, I think Desi might have given it to Jason King on his own if he, you know, front rows if they don't have the interchange. So yeah, I, I guess minutes, that's yeah. where, you know, I played for 80 minutes and Kingy probably had one or two breaks a game. So it just worked. And, um, you yeah, know, obviously we had those other players there that were senior players that we used to bump a lot of ideas off. And, uh, did you yeah, just have like pre- a bit of a leadership group sort of thing? Or? Yeah, we did. We had those, you know, Stuart boys and Kingy and I think Robbo was in there and... Um, I'm not sure if Chuck was in there, maybe. Cardi was in there. Okay. Um, yeah, but so we had these older players that we always used to, you know, rub, oh, run ideas off. So it was pretty easy in the end. But, yeah, it was, it was so good to, to do it with Kingy. Yeah, what was kind of like your style? Uh, I wasn't a massive talker. I probably, it probably grew on me as I got a little bit older and uh, played a few more games. The leadership sort of grew. Yep. Um but yeah, obviously I, I was more of a I wanted to lead with actions rather than um, you know talking to death. So we had some guys in the team that did a fair bit of talking. It wasn't just one or two people talking. We had six or seven, so it was a group effort. Yeah, who before that kind of really rubbed off on you in terms of like a really good leader, good traits that you know you picked up on that you kind of you know kept going through your career. Um, well, Nathan Kalos was a great captain back in the day at Parramatta. He okay. was. He was even so young, and uh, he had he a great aura young, about him. What's that, sorry? He was very young when he took over captain, he, wasn't he? I think he might have been 20 or 21, maybe 22, something pretty young like that. But, yeah, he you know, he spoke really well and led from the front, and he might have even been Kiwis captain at the time, or maybe well, he was definitely playing for the Kiwis, but I don't know if he was captain there. But, um, yeah, there was Matty Orford was a good, very good captain. Um, you know, obviously, Brad Fittler was one. Andrew Johns was a great leader. Um, you know, even Darren Lockyer, he didn't speak that much and was a little bit gravelly, but oh, definitely. <laughs> def- so those sorts of guys, you just watch and uh, you admire them. You just you'd pretty much so, um, Yeah, had a lot of good captains over the years. Okay, Jamie, a couple of... Just personality ones to wrap things up. Who was your toughest opponent to tackle? Um, usually the big, big outside backs or big wingers because they were usually big and fast and strong. Um, Adam McDougall was always hard to tackle back in the day. His big legs. Um, yeah, but even when we first came, like year two thousand, we played the Broncos. Uh, in a prelim to get in the grand final, they beat us by about a try, I think it was. But like, I just tried. I remember trying to tackle Brad Thorne. He was about seven foot eleven. He was huge, and <laughs> that still stands out now as you know one of the hardest blokes to tackle. Probably because I wasn't a very good tackler. I might have got better as the years went. But yeah, I just remember he was. He's obviously Greg Inglis is a, is a hard man to contain. Yeah, he's one of the one of the best. We just uh, come off sore against him. Yeah, but 
Oh, well, you just missed him just... so many times, you just you didn't actually touch him. <laughs> I'll just dive at his feet and try and get in front of him, trip him over, something like that. But he's he he had awareness and a big fan, but he had speed. And I remember playing when I come back from England in '06. Um, they picked me in the Tri Nations team, which English was just coming through, and oh, he was lightning. I picked him from back then. He's going to be a superstar. So yeah, he was definitely a hard one to contain. Yeah, okay, next one. What was your favourite venue? Take out Brookie, because obviously I know it's going to be one of your favourites, but what was your favourite venue to play in in Australia and then back when you were playing in the Super League over in the UK? Uh, yeah, in, in the UK we had the old Nosley Road, which we used to play at, which was the home ground, and that was old and crap. And, um, was it good for the atmosphere? Grass was, it was awesome, yeah. The, the fans and the singing, it was such... Such good fun to play in front of those crowds. But, you know, Old Trafford's still probably one of my best uh, memories from an atmosphere. We played there against Hull in the um, in the grand final over there for the Super League. So that was a massive, massive day and night. Yeah, that was good fun. Um, in Australia, I used to like going to New Zealand. We used to have a bit of success there, but it always seemed to be obviously hostile with their crowd there and they were behind the Warriors, but... I used to like going there. Um, Where was your worst? Was, Where didn't you like playing? Shark Park seemed to be always tough. We, I do remember one really good game. We scored right at the death to win the game. That was a good memory. But you know what, the they, other they have it on we, YouTube because you chip and chase. You catch it on the right, and nude you put over. You put someone over. Was was it? Was Michael was it Oldfield? Oldfield? Okay, it was Michael Oldfield. And I knew how fast he was, so I knew he wasn't getting caught. So that was right. And, well, you, but a Sharks fan, you wouldn't be too happy about it. Oh, I didn't mind it, mate. We've we've won a comp now. I've moved on. <laughs> no, very good. Um, let me think of some other grounds. Played the SCG, I think, only once or twice, which wasn't too bad at all. Well, it's back now. Um, it's going to be a bit of a regular over the next few years. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, back in the... I used to hate playing at Para when we were at Manly, but I used to love playing there as a Para player. It used to be great. So. Yeah, they days would have given it to you. All day. Oh, yeah. First game back when we, or when I come back from England playing for Manly 07, uh, we ended up winning. I got two tries. But at the end of the game, there, there was a few coins getting thrown on the ground and oh, a couple God. hit the trainer. And um, Desi was walking around picking all the coins up, putting in his pocket. He was keen because he's pretty tight. So there's some, some memories over the years, mate. And it was always, you know, pretty good fun. Okay, Jamie, final question. Now, you're going to be hosting a private dinner party, Jamie. You've got five invites. Now, only rules, no family or friends, but you can invite anyone, dead or alive. Who would you like to invite to dinner? Ah, so we've got five people, haven't we? Five people. Well, I'm a golf nut, so I'd have to invite Tiger Woods. The big Tiger. The best golfer of all time. I'd nearly go all golfers. That's how much I love golf, but um, I don't know. Have you got any suggestions? And I'll... Bring them all in, mate. Jason Day, bring in Greg Norman. Be... Uh, yeah, well, I met Greg Norman once, yeah. He was he was pretty pretty good. Um, with what you do now with Paladin, you, you do yep. a lot of golf tours, eh? I did do a lot of golf tours. Um, I slowed down a little bit now, but I might, I might kick them back up. Yeah, so we did a, a couple over New Zealand, so it was Queenstown and, yeah, nice, and then on the North Island, which, which was great. I had a... One of the tourists actually this morning, um, Phil actually, yeah, he's just inquiring about another one. So I might get another one up and running. So Okay, so what's that, paladinsports.com.au Paladin if anyone wants to check yeah. out what you're doing? Yeah, lovely, mate. Nice little plug there. But I'll have to give Phil Loveridge a little plug there too, mate. We'll For have sure. to organise one, definitely. Okay. Well, Jamie, I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast, mate. It's been great to share a bit of space with you, mate. And thanks for all the different, I know... You were very open and honest today, mate, so I really appreciate it. Nah, pleasure. Thanks for having me, Tristan. Cheers, mate. And that, guys, was the killer, Jamie Lyon. So do be on the lookout for lots and lots of episodes coming up. As mentioned, Eric Roth, Nick Phipps, Matt Adamson, Chad Townsend, Terry McFlynn, and Michael Liner is our stellar cast coming up. Please continue to tell your family and friends if you're enjoying the episodes. Please leave a review if you do have access to Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you want to we're up to episode 107 so if you're just your first time listening to here you've got 106 episodes to catch up on best way to catch that up is www.talkingwithtk.com or you'll find the podcast on any of the major podcast apps 
please get in touch. would love to hear from you. Tristan at talkingwithtk.com or hit me up on Twitter or Facebook. I'm at talkingwithtk. Thanks again for tuning in to today's show. Had a lot of fun bringing you Killer Story. I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking With TK.